This episode of the SSI Executive Conversations podcast is a continuation of our conversation with Karen Posey. On this episode, Darwin and Karen dive deep into what misalignment can look like and what are the key signs to look out for. How do you get through to a CEO on on how to implement and, and really share their vision the right way and then put the strategy after that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we look at, and we didn't talk about it today, most organizations already have mission, vision, but we, we do look at that. And okay. mission should be timeless. Vision should be 10 years out. When I do a strategic plan, I really strongly coach CEOs, unless you're working for the government, it should be a three-year plan because things yeah. move too fast. And then you need a yearly operational plan, right? To say, okay, what, what are the must-dos for 2023, for example? And so once they have that, there's really is there is a cadence um, that I work with the first of all I help them put together an overall um, strategic plan uh, planning calendar so to speak so okay. that a lot of the CEOs I work with have a board and they have to report to the board and so it you know aligns with that but also it's to the point where we have um, appointments actually on their leader's calendar about key dates and whatnot. So at least everybody is um, mindful of deadlines and what's due. But when it comes to communication, it really is um, driving the coherence. You brought it up earlier. The CEO has to lead by example, first and foremost. And, And that sometimes can be very hard because they might not be consciously competent or consciously aware, not competent, but they might not be consciously aware that they are, you know, they've got that issue. And so seeing them with their leadership team, a lot of times I'll sit in on those meetings because most of them are virtual now anyway. And right. I'm able to, to identify that and bring it to the CEO's attention. And it's like anything else. Once you do bring it to the CEO's attention, then he or she has awareness, right? right. And that's, that's half the battle. A lot of times they don't even know that they're, they're not doing it. And then working with the leadership team, to make sure that they've got the tools and templates they need and the expectation, which I can't underscore enough. Um, I think a lot of times my observation is the CEO doesn't know how to set the right expectations for the leaders as far as communicating and rolling out the plan and making sure, for example, onboarding of new hires. They should all know your vision, your mission, your strategic three-year strategic plan, your yearly operational plan. And then, having them, how does this relate to you and your role, right? And the bigger the organization, the other thing that I'm a huge believer in, because my uh, framework is very, our our framework is very scalable, is that it's um, what I call um, alignment documents. So you've got these large organizations that are any, I would say once you're past um, 200, 250 million, I'm a big believer in these alignment documents that go out to all the leaders that say, okay, Based on the strategic plan and the yearly business plan, how are you going to align your teams to that? And what are you going to get done this year? And right. holding them accountable. So it it cascades through the organization. And then, you know, there's a lot of, um, I'm also a big proponent of tying bonus and whatnot to that, right? So that, you know, people, people stay focused on what's important. The vital few. The vital few. You got to be able to prioritize, but if you don't even know what's most important, or if you have too many action items to execute on, you're going to do them all. You're not going to do any of them exceptionally well. That's right. So there's a lot of tools, strategies, and techniques um, 
you know, we use with clients to help them on the sustainable growth, because it's interesting. Um, I uh, did a presentation last week to a group of CEOs and what, when you think of hyper growth, I, I did a quick Google search. Oh my gosh. Hyper growth. 17 to 25 million Google, you know, hits. Right? right. And then the books I found, Oh my God, talk about books. I found uh, at least eight books that I showed that have been out in the last year on hyper growth. In, a, in the last year? Yeah, in the last year. And then I looked at sustainable, predictable growth. Uh-huh. I could only find three books. <laughs> they were all at least 10 years old, right? Because it's not sexy. And, and my point to the CEOs was, you know, <laughs> growth is, is important. You need growth, but you need to figure out how to predictably, sustainably grow. Absolutely. That's, that's really the key. And it's not sexy sometimes, right? It's not sexy. It's the, it's the day-to-day block and tackling, but that's what's critical to I, I did, achieving I did a, Karen, I did a, uh, so we do, you know, training, get together as a team because we have a few remote people. And um, I, I did a presentation this last uh, holiday season during our, our gathering in December on why companies fail and how businesses grow and the percentage of companies that fail in the first two years, the percentage of those that are still around and make it past year five. But nobody typically talks about past that. Right. At least in my experience. Right. 70% of companies don't make it 10 years, 70%. And there's a whole group of companies that make it past that, you know, half don't past that two year period because it's painful. It's not easy. But to your point in sustainable growth, so many companies fail in trying to scale. They do. And I think that speaks volumes to what you're just talking about. And the focus on, okay, hyper growth's great until you get over your skis and you blow out. Right. Yes. And there has been quite a few organizations that I've worked with that have achieved that hyper growth and then things start to you know, it's not, they don't see it. They start to flatten out and then they panic. And as you know, that's when all the, the sins that have happened over all that, those years of hyper growth, everybody starts to see. And it's typically IT infrastructure that hasn't been invested in and a whole bunch of key aspects to really achieving sustainable, predictable growth that all of a sudden then they're scrambling. That, those are not fun. <laughs> I'm going to try I'm going to try not to get behind the the chair and just start crying right now because part of what you're talking about makes me think about my first 3 years just trying to make it and then my first I'd say we got into, you know, the CRM part 1 2 3 4 and I look back and I basically just made a mess of my, you know, our data was just just a disaster. Um so getting to the point now where we actually have good data and we're, we have processes in place, but growing is not easy. And right. uh, if again, and to your point, again, if you don't have a plan and, and you're not having doing, you're not creating a strategy of growth that's sustainable, then you're going to have more opportunities for, to get blindsided. Right. I think the other thing too, um, before we move into this next topic, um, you, you you talk about the mission, the why, and that not being a part of the onboarding process. But I think cultural fit, and even going back to what you talked about with the CEOs, if you're not hiring people that are the right cultural fit, 
that your values match up, they're going to be less likely to tell you what you're missing and, 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 or do it in the right way. So you're going to have friction. You're going to have less opportunity for a cultural fit. I, I, I believe that from a talent management process that in your attraction, you should be sharing, people should be able to share the mission statement. They right. should be able to talk about the why. And in our world, it's, it's, it's medical devices and you know, products that companies are manufacturing in med tech, pharma, life sciences. What patient population is it benefiting? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's the value there? Is it emerging? Is it a growing area? If you can't share that and understand how your company relates to the competition, I, the, the, the mission and the why is so important because if that doesn't align, then your opportunities to not have a good cultural fit, I think, are greater. I concur. So it's amazing. And as you were saying that, too, I think back, I don't know that in my career in, in, in hospital and health and then corporate America, I'm not so sure I ever was really shared what a mission statement was or what a vision statement was. I do remember like in the hiring process, okay, here's the, you have to like sign off on it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think probably anybody could have actually shared what that was off the top of their head. You know, and it's interesting too. I just read an article a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs are starting to say, you know, yes, we know we need profits. We, we know we need to report to Wall Street, but they're really taking a step back and saying, what's our real purpose? Right. Right. Well, and that really. to me gets into the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was really back, happy. To, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say, and it comes back to why your voice of the customer and then creating, identifying the right talent. And I thought this earlier, um, but you, again, you talked about how important leadership is, why people leave companies. The number one reason for the longest period of time is the immediate manager and leadership. Yeah. So how important is how the type of people you hire, do they understand what true servant leadership is and do they fit the culture relevant to the mission and the why? Because engagement a big part of that comes from being feeling valued in what you do and yeah. that what you're doing is bringing real value to other people. And in a sense, I think that's where passion comes from. So it's so important. It is. It is. I work with a lot of um, high tech IT CEOs and, you know, they used to always hire for technical ability, right? And engineers okay. and whatnot, which makes sense. But they, they've really shifted, and I'm so happy to see this because I use a little bit different ter- terminology than you do. I look at knowledge, skills, and attributes, right? But same, okay. same, same, same things. Right. Um, and, and really looking at those attributes, right, and the skills and the attributes, because what they finally figured out in a lot of cases is if you find the right skills and attributes, you can train anybody to, be, to, to, to really achieve those roles, and they right. find that longer they're, they're going to stay with the company longer term versus just always hiring. And don't get me wrong. It's not that, you know, you don't sometimes hire um, based on the best knowledge there is out there, depending on what you're right. trying to do. But to your point earlier, those soft skills, those attributes, people don't change. <laughs> you you got to really, often. no, you got to really, you really have to want that. to change. And there's a whole, there's a subset of people that I think don't, are not self-aware enough. They're, they're not, because you can't look in the mirror 
you're not going to change. But then right. there's a lot of aspects of change that aren't easy. That's They're right. Hard, and it's easier to not change. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, typically by the time I get done working with the client's strategic plan uh, and business plan, I know their leadership team pretty well. And the CEO and I have a great relationship and that's where I end up coaching them. And inevitably, that's where my partners come in because I have my partners come in because they, they need someone, one of their leaders needs coached or several leaders need coached or, you know, they need help in sales or whatnot. And yeah, there's, there's lots of opportunity there. Uh, so in terms of, you know, what you knowledge, ability, and what was the third? What's your, what's uh, the, knowledge, skills, and attributes. Yeah. So knowledge, skills, and attributes. And I think it can be easy for somebody to, you know, think that I'm kind of saying things that, that benefit our industry. It, that's not my intent at all because people don't pay. I mean, the recruiting industry is a $180 billion industry. And mm -hmm. I look at it like the legal industry. Nobody wants to pay a lawyer. Nobody wants to pay a recruiter. But it's 180 billion for a reason, mm -hmm. um, and and so from a strategy standpoint, not having it as a part of your hiring strategy in some aspect is probably not going to be very likely. So you That's really right. have to understand your strategy combination of strategies and how you want to uh, how your talent management strategies are going to adjust as your company grows. Um, so I'm you know people aren't paying us the amount of money or paying us a fee to bring them more risk. And right. so I want to be clear, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. But in terms of understanding what that minimal skill set is and how you measure that, capture the information in a process that's consistent and allows you to compare and contrast, I think that's really important. But at the same time, it, 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 when, you, when you hire people and, and how you assess and look at talent, how open you are to talent, are you willing to hire people ready for the next step? Right. in their career. They're ready to stretch. They're hungry. And if they fit the culture and they have the right attitude, that could be an amazing hire. Are you open to crossover talent? Somebody that's ready to go into an area and take skills that they have and then learn and grow as a person that brings value. Um, strategies for autonomy is going to be a constant topic of conversation moving forward. Um, or do you, do you just want to overpay? And you know, or do you expect people, I always say this, expect them to cross the road, get the end of the line for the same amount of money. Right. How, how great is your leadership and value prop to expect that? And so I think in terms of what you're talking about, you really have to understand what's important to you and think about that in terms of how you evaluate talent. That's right. I, I agree. And sometimes I find that leaders are in too big of a hurry. They just want someone in the position. And um, they really don't take the time to think about what's really important. And then the, the other thing I see all the time, and I work with our uh, the CEOs on this, even though, you know, just based on previous training I've had early in my career, they spend, the, the hiring manager spends so much time talking that the candidate just sits there and nods and answers a few questions. And they think they're brilliant because, you know, the hiring manager was talking the whole time. It's like, no, your job is to let them talk 90% yeah. of the time. You're to ask questions, but you got to set it up right and, and help people feel comfortable with that. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you found this as well. I think there's so much leadership training years ago, and then there was a hiatus for several years. And I think organizations are waking back up and saying, you know, we need to invest again in leadership training and future leader training because it really is vital to the organization. 
Well, how, how much is, how many things that are transactional really have great value? And in terms of, you know, I grew up with uh, Zig Ziglar and, you know, Tom Hopkins, uh, you know, sales closes and those right, kind of things. Right, right. At the end of the day, uh, there's a book that came out uh, in the last 10 years on uh, complex sales. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, things that are not complex, people, if they're not very expensive, you know, they'll buy it, you know, for $3 or whatever, just get you away. But right. people aren't going to do that with a complex sale and a high price ticket item. And That's so right. leadership's the same standpoint. I think as we've gotten greater technology, we've got more distracted, more of, you know, sort of the microwave society piece, it's easier to get more transactional. But mm -hmm. I almost look at it, you said, you know, they, they, they almost hire people too fast. I, I see many times where because of the inefficiency of the process and the trans transactional nature of the hiring process and how long it takes in terms of attraction efficiency, which directly impacts retention, that they get to a certain point of the time lost from an opportunity standpoint. It's like, okay, now all of a sudden you almost have to hire somebody. Yeah. So they end Good up point. hiring lesser talent that doesn't work out because they were so inefficient at the beginning of the process. That is a great point. That is a great point. I'm going to tell my mother you said that. I'm going to <laughs> I got the great, great point. For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureGSolutions.com and follow us on social media and LinkedIn at SureGSolutions.